Somebody sent this to Gloria this past week, uh, and it's uh, marriage from the kid's perspective. And uh, kids were asked a series of questions, and so um, I just want to read to you some of the, the real funny ones. Uh, first, the question asked these kids was, how do you decide whom to marry? How do you make that decision? Well, Alan, age 10, says, you've got to find somebody who likes the same stuff. Like, if you like sports, she should like it that you like sports. And she should keep the chips and dip coming. Uh, Kristen, age 10, says, No person really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God's de- God decides it all way before, and you get to find out later who you're stuck with. Uh, Camille, age 10, when asked, What is the right age to get married? She says, she says, 23 is the best age because you know the person by that time forever. 23 being very old. Uh, the next question, how can a stranger tell if two people are married? And Derek, age 8, says, you might have to guess based on whether they seem to be yelling at the same kids. Uh, Lori, age 8, asked, was asked, what do you think your mom and dad have in common? And she answers, both don't want any more kids. <laughs> I wonder what Lori did. Um, Lynette, age eight, is asked, what do, people, uh, what do most people do on a date? And Lynette answers, uh, dates are for having fun, and people should use them to get to know each other. Even boys have something to say if you listen long enough. <laughs> and Martin, age 10, answers, on the first date, they just tell each other lies, and that usually gets them interested enough to go for a second date. <laughs> Uh, Kurt, age seven, is asked, when is it okay to kiss someone? And uh, his answer is, the law says you have to be 18, so I wouldn't mess with that. <laughs> and I like Pam, age seven, I like her answer even better. When's it, when's it okay to kiss someone? When they're rich. <laughs> <laughs> and all the ladies said, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Question number seven, is it better to be single or married? Anita, age nine, says, it's better for girls to be single, but not for boys, because boys need someone to clean up after them. (laughs) Calvin was asked, how would the world be different if people didn't get married? And his response was, there sure would be a lot of kids to explain, wouldn't there? (laughs) And then finally, how would, you make a, how would you make a marriage work? And Ricky, age 10, says, tell your wife that she looks really pretty, even if she looks like a dump truck. <laughs> All right. Here's the thing. Uh, obviously, these kids know nothing about marriage. But guess what? That's probably the case for most adults as well. Most people today... Uh, don't really know much about marriage. Uh, They know that it can be difficult at times. They know it can be a struggle. They know it can be wonderful at times. But what I want to talk about this morning is how you can have a a wonderful marriage, how you can get the passion back in your marriage. And uh, before we go any further, let me just quickly point out to you what the major issues are in marriage, the, the, the main problems that virtually every couple is going to face at some point 
or another. And the very first problem, of course, and all the women would know the answer to this immediately, and it's communication. This is something that, that is a real problem in marriage. Uh, lots, of it, lots of times it's because men don't understand women, women don't understand men, uh, or it's because uh, women talk twice as much as men. That's what they say. Um, everyone's silent there. A little, bit, a little bit of tension, uncomfortable. Men don't like to talk much. Uh, there's some exceptions to that. Uh, there are some, I, I, I like to talk a lot. I like to talk a lot. I'm a pretty good talker. The, the, the next one is, is money problems. Money problems, big, big, big issue. In fact, money problems, communication problems are probably equal in terms of severity of, of difficulty in a marriage. The third thing may come as a surprise to you. Uh, others will say, oh, I could have answered that. It's in-laws. In-laws can be a real problem. Family interfering with your marriage. Family telling you how you should live your life or how you shouldn't live your life. Uh, mothers-in-law who feel that their husband or that their, that their son didn't get quite the right woman uh, or vice versa. Um, big problem. Big problem. The fourth one is role confusion. Not sure what it is that you're supposed to do as a husband, what you're supposed to do as a wife. And a lot of people, a lot of people struggle with this. And there's, there's good reason for that today, and we'll get into that in just a moment. But these are the four issues that absolutely every couple is going to face and, and have to deal with in their marriage. What am I supposed to do as a wife? What am I supposed to do as a husband? How am I supposed to function? Uh, and, and, and how can we improve our communication? And how can, we, how can we deal with this money problem? And how can I deal with the in-laws? Well, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But let me say this. Some, there's somebody here today who I'm sure has done a lot of studying, a lot of reading on the subject of marriage, and you're saying, but Pastor, you're missing, you're missing a major problem. And that's the problem of intimacy. And usually, usually it's women who will point that out. They'll say, you know, I've read the books and the, and the, the problem is intimacy. Well, he, here's what I would submit to you this morning. I would say that intimacy will not be a problem, will not be an issue in your marriage if you take care of the other four problems, and particularly the fourth one, which is what your role is as a man or a woman in your marriage. Intimacy folks, is not something that you pursue. It's the byproduct of doing your marriage right, of getting your marriage right. So how do we get passion and how do we get intimacy back into our marriage? And how do we win someone's heart? Maybe there's some young people, young, young men, young women who are today dating and, or wish you were dating. I want to I share with you some very simple principles and you can apply it, uh, as it as it best relates to you. But this morning, how, how are we going to get this passion back into our relationships? Where is it going to come from? Well, here's the thing. Um, my, my word to you this morning is that I, I do have some good news, that if your marriage has lost its passion, you've lost your excitement, you've lost intimacy, you can get it back. And if you do what I tell you to do this morning, you could get it back today. It could be a big, big change in your household, in your marriage today. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the advice that the Apostle Paul gives the Christians in the church in Ephesus. So if you have your Bibles, take them and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. 
And listen to what the Apostle Paul says. And by the way, before we read this, let me just point this out to you. In the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, we find that God often, often speaks of his relationship to his people, uh, re- referring to a marriage, the marriage relationship, as a model for what God expects, for us to understand our relationship to him. And the way that we understand our marriage is, is by looking at our relationship to God. And so look at the Apostle Paul says. He says in verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 23, and maybe you could read that with me. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So here's the secret to a passionate marriage. It's right there. Read this and everything's going to be okay. You can go home now. Now, we need to unpack it, because I know that somebody here is thinking, oh, great, here's a great bit of propaganda for, for men dominating women and, and for, for male chauvinism. No, this is absolutely not what this is. What Paul is pointing out to you and me is that men and women have different roles. We're different. We're equal, but we're different. Passion and love and intimacy in marriage is at its highest when men and women fulfill their roles in their relationship, in their marriage. So if you want a high level of passion, a high level of intimacy, if you want to feel a sense of fulfillment in your, in your marriage, then what you have to understand is that you have a role to play and you have to, you've got to play that role. You have to do what it is that God wants you to do if you are going to truly, truly have a great marriage. And here's the thing. I have been counseling now for 27 years. I started counseling even before I was married. And you say, well, how could you do that? Well, it's called reading books. It's called studying. I read a lot of books on this subject. I became an expert on marriage before I ever married Gloria. And guess what? Before Gloria ever married me, she also became an expert. She also was reading books. The book that I read and highlighted and underlined, and I had given it out to literally dozens of people, is the book by Gary Smalley called If He Only Knew. By the way, uh, gentlemen, if you want to know how to get it right, I, I recommend that you get that book, If He Only Knew. And it's all, about, it's all about how a man is supposed to care for his wife. And I'm going to tell you this. Women, it, help your husbands out. Go get the book for him. Order it online, if you will. Give it to him tomorrow for Valentine's Day. I can guarantee you this, gentlemen. You read that book, and you'll be amazed at how much you don't know about your wife. Wives, you read that book, and you will start to cry. You will cry from beginning to end. Because you will find that finally somebody understands you. Yeah. That was a book I read. I became an expert. Gloria, on the other hand, was reading a book that her mother gave to her called You Can Be the Wife of a Happy Husband. Now, it was written, I think, in the 1960s or 70s, and it sounds kind of schmaltzy, and, and, and even as I'm saying it, I'm thinking there's some people sitting here today who are going to say, man, that is really old-fashioned and out of date. 
guess what? It's absolutely biblical. Wives are, have a role to play and men have a role to play. And they're quite different from each other. And by the way, can I just say this to you? What God requires from you in order to have a happy marriage is quite opposite to what our culture says. And I'll talk about more, more about that in just a moment. I first began to understand the differences between men and women and the struggle between men and women when I was in grade four. No, I didn't have a fiancé. I wasn't getting married. I was in a play called Mary Poppins. I was a star. I was, I was Mr. Banks. And in the play, uh, one of the lines that uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't one I had to repeat, but it was one of the nannies. The nanny was, and if you know the story of Mary Poppins, you know how it goes. A nanny uh, quits. The very beginning of the, pl- of the play of the story, the nanny quits because she can't stand this household anymore. And uh, as she's quitting, the, um, the nanny says to me, you are nothing but a male chauvinistic pig. Now, there's not a kid in that school who knew what that meant. This is written by teachers for adults, not for kids. We listen, this woman said that, uh, you're nothing but a male chauvinistic pig. And I remember going home and asking my mom, Mom, what's a male chauvinistic pig? <laughs> now, that's back in the 70s. She looked at me or actually maybe the, the late 60s, and she looked at me and said, um, what are they teaching you at that school? <laughs> it was right about the time when, uh, when feminism was on, on the rise, and there was a problem between men and women because of a lack of equality. Now, you know this. You, 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 you understand this. And before we go any further, can I just say this to you today? I am a huge, huge proponent, advocate for equality. Men and women were created equal in the sight of God. How many understand that today? Women are not second-class citizens. But I can tell you this today, that women are called to be women, and men are called to be men. And the minute that we, we forget that, that's the minute we begin to see our marriages fall apart, our, our families begin to fall apart, and even our culture is falling apart. And I don't need to get into the details of that because you can figure that out yourself. You know what's happening in our culture today because men are not being men and women are not being women. But my, my discussion this morning is about marriage and the roles that men and women play in, that, in their marriage. Now, if you go back to the 1960s and 70s, you'll see that in this fight for equality between men and women, they got a little bit misguided in their fight and, and in their approach. What they thought they should do is they, they thought that what they needed to do is they needed to race the differences between men and women. Just say men and women are basically the same. There's no difference between men and women. And then in doing so, then they would demonstrate that, in fact, men and women were equal. This is a huge mistake, absolutely a huge mistake. Because now what's happening is that women are trying to be, trying to be second-class men rather than being first-class women. And men are confused. They don't know what they're supposed to do. It's politically, politically incorrect to assert yourself as a man, and there's utter confusion. And consequently, marriages are breaking down, and we've got a mess on our hands. Let's look at what the Apostle Paul tells us is the difference. And we're going to start with men this morning. Men, what is, what is your role? According to what we read here, a man's role is, is to be one who takes the initiative. One who takes the first step. And we see this, again, we see this from Genesis to Revelation. 
we see that this is God's order of things. Jesus took the initiative in reaching out to you. The Bible says that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. He took the initiative. He sent his Holy Spirit who did what? Who wooed you, who called you unto himself. He took the initiative. How many know today that God always takes the initiative? Gentlemen, you and I are called to imitate God's example in your marriage. You're called to take the initiative in making sure that your marriage is great. You're the one that's supposed to take the first step. It's your responsibility to make your marriage great. So when I have a couple come to me for counseling because they've got problems in the marriage, the first thing I do is I look at the man and I say, you know what? The reason your marriage is falling apart right now is because you're not doing your job. And the wife is sitting there going, finally someone agrees with me. Gentlemen, it's your, it's your responsibility. And I don't know what happened in your life or what happened in your childhood or what happened in your upbringing or what happened in your married life that led you to the place where you thought that you didn't have to take responsibility anymore. But I'm giving you permission today, from this day forward, to go from this place as a man who takes in the initiative in your marriage, which means you're responsible to make sure that your wife is cared for, that your family is cared for. You're the one that's supposed to take the initiative regarding everything. Now, I, mean, I, know, I know what's going through some of your minds right now. You're saying, some of you guys are saying, Pastor, if you knew what my household was like, you would know that that could never happen. And some of you women are thinking to yourself, oh, that'll be the day when I let him take charge around here. Okay, there's the problem. There's a problem. There's a, there's a confusion. There's a confusion about what it means to take the initiative. There's a confusion about what it means to be the head of the home. If you think this morning that being the head of your home means you're the boss or that you're the dictator or that you're the ruler and everybody has to do as I say, then you totally don't get it. And I can see why, guys, you may be having problems in your marriage. You are not the dictator. You're not the boss. You're the chief servant, if you want to put it like that. You're the one that's supposed to take responsibility for your family, and you're the one that's supposed to be the first one that steps out and does the right thing. This idea of men taking the initiative, of being to their wives what Christ is to the church, is really a simple idea that every, absolutely everybody should understand. And the reason I say that is because it's, it's, a part of our, it's part of our culture. It's a part of our literature. It's a part of our collective understanding through, through millennia. Read the poetry. Read the stories. And you will see that oftentimes it's a story about gallantry, about a man rising up to, to rescue the damsel in distress. It's about chivalry. It's about the knight in shining armor that goes to rescue his damsel. Look what it says there. It says Christ uh, is the Savior of his church. Husbands, you're the Savior. You're the knight in shining armor. When my brother first got married, he used to play for a hockey team at, at Calvary Temple. 
and it would be late in the evening, and uh, all the young couples were there. And my brother would be skating down the ice, stick handling and doing amazing things on the ice. And, and my sister-in-law would be in the, in the stands going, saying, Go, my knight in shining armor. And my brother would kind of just kind of skate away, kind of thinking, Who's that? Who's that woman? <laughs> she was so in love, and she literally saw him as her knight in shining armor. This, this, this strikes a chord with us. We understand this. In fact, if you read uh, the medieval, a medieval uh, code, a knight's code, this is, listen, listen to this. I, I, I'm not going to read all the code, but uh, this, this is a part of the knight's code as it relates to uh, the knight and his woman, and it says this. Um, a knight's chief duty. Does everybody know what a knight is, by the way? You know, with, everybody knows what a knight is? He's a, the king's man, fights for the king, honor, integrity, you know. This is what the knight's code is. A, king's, a knight's chief duty is to his own lady, to love her and protect her and keep her secure. And all the ladies went, oh. gentlemen, that's exactly what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to step out, take the initiative, and make sure that your lady knows that she is loved, protected, and secure. Does your lady know that today? The reason we love stories like the, the story of Sir Lancelot and uh, Queen Guinevere is because it, it strikes a chord. Chivalry. Man takes care of his beloved. Gentlemen, what, what kind of men are you in your home? Are you 